Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired silent witness sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix police officer Jason Schechterly. And we have an incredible episode for you today. Our guest is Houston Gass. He is a, a police chief or was police chief out of a small town in Texas. But more importantly, during the early part of his career in 2015, he was shot in the face practically point blank with a shotgun. He survived a miraculous story, to be assured. Then in Cop Talk, instead of doing the headlines and so forth, we're going to do a different Cop Talk. We're going to have Jason and Houston talk about surviving the day after, if you will. Then we go to the last segment, which is stupid suspect stories galore, heroic headlines, and so much more. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Wow, we have a really special guest. And I loved just listening to Jason and Houston talk a little bit. And we're buddies already. Yeah, well, we've been, I mean, I learned about him several months ago from one of our very early guests, Amanda Coleman. And we shared a couple of messages on LinkedIn back and forth and to finally talk to him and hear his story and to go back and forth in segment two. This is going to be uh, I, I'm so we got to get started. I'm so excited. I, I, can't, I, I can't sit still. So let's go. <laughs> we have Houston Gas, 20 year over 20 year law enforcement career. He was a police chief in Fritch PD. In 2015, he was awarded the Star of Texas, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because he's a humble guy. So we'll have to force him. Uh, <laughs> in 2018, he was a National Citizen of the Year, which was awarded by the Law Enforcement Today magazine. He's starting a one shot ministries, and he's still working as a cop in Texas. And he has the greatest name for a cop in Texas, Houston. Houston Gas, welcome to our show, my friend. Hey, man. Thank you, guys. Hey, I want to get right to it because you've got a long story to tell because it's an amazing story of survival, courage, uh, faith. It's just wow. And, and like I said, it, it mirrors so many aspects of my dear friend Jason that's sitting right next to me, obviously. Uh, but tell us about that morning on January 6, 2015, that early morning uh, young cop, n- newly married. Uh, tell us about that morning, if you would, sir. Well, um, that that particular morning, uh, I got up, helped uh, helped the wife uh, get the kids ready for school. Took uh, took my daughter 
I uh, was running some typical errands like uh, anybody else does. It was a day off. Uh, about, about 9.30 or so that morning, I got a call from the day shift patrol sergeant at uh, Pampa Police Department where I uh, I was the evening shift patrol supervisor at the time. And uh, we're sitting... We're sitting pretty short uh, on patrol, so and he was needing some extra officers to come in because they were uh, they were just getting inundated with calls, and they had officers stuck at the hospital and couldn't break away, and uh, so he called in for some extra help, and I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't get a hold of any of my other guys, man, you know, to try to get uh, try to let them have some overtime, you know, I guess. Uh, they see uh, they see the Sarge calling. They say not today, Satan. <laughs> you know. Um, Put down the beer. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, you know, originally uh, that morning, uh, me and my wife were going to go have lunch, uh, and uh, then I was going to go to work. But uh, as it typically happened, there was always something that occurred that uh, canceled those plans. So. I, I finished up my errands, went home, got ready for work, and 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 I tell you, you know, I had just a, I had a really strange feeling that day. You know, it was a it was a really cold January morning there in the Texas Panhandle, and I, I don't know, I just couldn't shake that feeling. But you know, it it, it wasn't so different from any other day that I just kind of felt like it was going to be a one of those really jacked up days, you know, that we, we always just know we're fixing to walk into. Yeah. All cops have that but, sixth uh, sense, brother. Yep. You know, so I, I go to work, uh, I go to work at 1045 that morning. I go on duty and, uh, just as I'm going on duty, the day shift patrol supervisors calling for extra units, uh, to, uh, to come to his location on Nelson street there in Pampa. Uh, so I went over there, uh, we ended up, uh, it was, it was a call of a domestic disturbance where shots had already been fired. Um, the guy's girlfriend had just gotten out of the house, uh, and he, uh, he ended up barricading himself in. So I get over there and I, I, uh, I start talking to some people that are on scene while, uh, uh, a couple of the other guys from my department decided to, uh, start try to communicate with our suspect. I'm talking to the people, I'm talking to our witnesses, and I figure out who it is that we're dealing with. And it's a guy that's pretty familiar to us. Uh, we've dealt with him a hundred other times. You know, he's he's he was a typical petty thief, drug addict kind of guy. You know, um, uh, he was always trouble, but was never so much trouble that uh, that I thought that I thought he would actually end up shooting me. Um, but uh, you know, we went. We went in, and uh, a few minutes later, you know, we're we're talking, trying to establish communication, couldn't get anything, uh, and then all of a sudden we got a call that um, uh, there was another person walking down about two streets over, a suspicious person uh, walking with uh, uh, what appeared to be a, a a gun in his hand, and of course we had we had our perimeter set up. So we we didn't want to break the perimeter, and we decided to go ahead and make entry into the house because uh, if if he was out and about wandering with a gun, we needed to get that stopped, and we needed to figure out if he was in the house or not. And and I can tell you, you know, that that morning, um, I had uh, I had the day shift supervisor, 
our lieutenant and then a detective, we were, we were the entry team. That's, that's how shorthanded we were, uh, at the time. And I can remember standing outside of the house. I just, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had, you know, and, uh, we all know in law enforcement that it's, we don't pick the moment, the moment picks us. And, and I had this going on in my head that I was going to end up being the one that ends up shooting and killing this guy. And whenever you get that feeling, man, it's just something hard to shake. I mean, you know, I, I can remember, you know, my, my nerves were, were on high alert. Um, you know, I had to, uh, I had to intentionally stop and slow my breathing down and, and get myself mentally prepared. And, uh, we made entry into the house searching for him. And, uh, well, we, we searched through the entire house and couldn't find him. And then, uh, we entered into the far back Southwest bedroom of the, of the residence. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it was a very odd setup room. Uh, it was a, it was a small room, but it had a big bed and a couch in there. Which uh, there was a closet, and then there was like another door in the corner. Uh, we went over there, checked everything. Everything was fine. Then I get to the door in the corner, and and it, it's a very tight corner. So I mean, there wasn't really any good way to uh, to approach the door. And the door opened to the inside of its of the room. And, uh, we, we made our plan on how we were going to open that door. And as soon as I touched the doorknob, the suspect fired through and, uh, struck me in the face. And, uh, at that point in time, man, I, I didn't know exactly what happened. I'll be real honest with you. I didn't know what happened. I know it hurt. Um, and I remember picking my, or at least trying to pick myself up off the ground, kind of feeling like I just got hit with a, uh, a Mack truck and a sledgehammer at the same time. Um, I lost, uh, I, I lost my gun, uh, during that. So I was obviously out of the fight. Uh, and then, uh, I couldn't see, which, uh, kind of, uh, that kind of made me panic. Uh, you know, for some reason, my eyesight decided to go away at that point in time, which was probably a good thing because then I couldn't see the amount of blood that was coming, coming out of me. Um, my, uh, my lieutenant and, uh, the detective, uh, drug me out of the room while the day shift supervisor laid down cover fire. Uh, I don't know how many shots were fired. The, the one thing that I can honestly remember hearing is, uh, uh, panic, uh, from, from everybody else. You know, that, that, that one time that you hear that shots are fired and officers down and then you realize, oh crap, it's me. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a comfortable feeling. Your lieutenant, uh, loop- he actually laid down on you to sit, to yes. protect you. That's amazing. Talk about heroism. No, uh, no, it, it really was. Um, uh, and on top of that, he had the presence of mind to lay me on my left side, uh, because I, I was bleeding just something fierce, uh, after that shotgun round hit me. Um, he laid me on my left side and, and, uh, you know, I'll always be, I'll always be extremely thankful for those guys and, and the actions that they took that day to, uh, um, to save my life. Um, and it was a 12 gauge you know, shotgun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Correct. Thankfully, you know, the suspect, uh, used, uh, used quality ammo, 
Uh, he didn't use stuff or anything like that. Man, it was it was it was good uh, good American. Uh, Only a cop American would say thing. that, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> a cop, yes. we have the most bizarre sense of humor, and and yet there's truth in that. There is <laughs> truth in that, and that's why it's kind of we can we can chuckle about it. But so did the round Houston? Did the the, the shock? Did you ever actually see him or the gunner? Did it was did the, the door, door? Did the door help a little bit also in in slowing down some of the rounds before they got to you? The 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 door actually helped. Um, slow the round down you know whenever i finally got a chance to look at the door um this was like a couple months later there was only through the hole in the door was uh he he had that shotgun pressed up against it uh literally it was probably the hole in the door was literally the size of about a half dollar so and you know so but, uh, it was uh, but an pretty inch, amazing how that occurred. A couple inches higher, it goes into your forehead. A couple inches lower, it goes straight into your neck. I mean, you and, and those might those might have been instantly fatal. And where did it hit? Well, it, it ended up hitting me directly on the left side of my face, right in. I mean, it's like right in between the middle where my chin is and uh, the actual hinge of your jaw. Uh, it ended up firing through and striking me there. Um, whenever I was there, my, my chin was actually laying down on my chest. Uh, and, uh, the, the, I had teeth, teeth all over the place. You know, I can remember, uh, telling my Lieutenant, uh, don't let me die. Uh, I, I couldn't die. Uh, and at that, at that point in time, man, I, I, <laughs> Uh, I've never prayed. I've never prayed probably quite as intently as I ever prayed that day. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, me and my wife had just gotten married six months, literally six months and four days earlier. So we, we were, you know, still newlyweds. Uh, you know, I, I'd just gotten, uh, we just started putting our family together. Uh, her first husband was a, uh, Taylor County, uh, jailer in Abilene, Texas, and he uh, he took his own life, oh. and she found him. Oh my God. Uh, and then uh, then the next thing you know, I'm laying on the ground with uh, with a shotgun wound, and only thing that I can think about at that point in time, man, is my my kids and my wife, my family. Uh, you know, amazingly, um, I was still able to talk a little bit, and and. Uh, uh, I, I told my lieutenant, I said, just make sure they know I'm allergic to morphine because I can't, I, I mean, I'm like deathly allergic to this stuff. And so you know? how were so, you, how were you rescued? Talk a little bit about the fire department, because I know you share this with Jason. You both are love the firemen. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing how that worked out. Uh, just a couple blocks down the street and over just a little bit to the east of us, uh, the firemen were out and about that morning testing some fire hydrants. Then uh, also, too, the, the ambulance service, uh, they'd gone in for a late breakfast, early lunch uh, at one of our local restaurants there, and so they were, they were exactly three blocks down the road, uh, and the fire department was probably maybe two blocks away. The fire department came up. Uh, the scene wasn't even secure. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know where our suspect was at. We didn't know if he was crawling under the house and had more, uh, 
uh, more guns or anything like that. But the fire department, the guys on C, uh, C shift there in Pampa, um, came running up to the scene. Uh, my, my lieutenant, my, uh, the assistant chief, uh, picked me up and walked me out onto the, uh, the porch. You were able to get up and walk? Yeah. They, they picked me up. I, 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 I wasn't much help. And as cops, <laughs> I wasn't much help. as cops, we, we uh, hear your story and we know that firemen are supposed to stage. They don't go into a hostile environment. So that was such heroism for them to run in. That was amazing. No, it, it, it so was, man. And, and those guys, man, they, they, they didn't even think about their own personal safety. They didn't, uh, this is the one time that I will honestly give the hose draggers credit, man. <laughs> that, uh, well uh, said brother, <laughs> you know, that they actually put their own safety on the line, which they do that every day. Sure. Yes. You know, they, 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 they put their personal safety aside, man, for other people. They came up, they had a backboard and they, they put me on that and literally started running towards the siren of the ambulance coming. I don't know how far they ran. I like said at the time I couldn't see anything. My, my eyesight was completely gone. Uh, I, I guess that's kind of part of the, um, uh, the, 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 the adrenaline shutdown, I guess, if you will, that, uh, self-preservation. That yeah. Now, when you're at the you hospital, know, uh, you make it to the hospital, uh, air vac, if I remember right. And something mm-hmm. happened kind of funny about you taking it, taking out somebody. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, they, they got me onto the ambulance and they, uh, they loaded me up and they got me all the way to the helicopter pad. And, uh, it, at this point in time, man, I was kind of, I was kind of starting to freak out a little bit, you know, uh, they, but they, they really, they, the ambulance people, man, they did the paramedics. They did such a fantastic job. Um, and, um, whenever I got there to the helicopter pad, uh, I'm telling you, man, the voice of God spoke through the flight medic, uh, and he had the deepest, most original voice I've ever heard in my life. I promise you, I'd I'd never seen the guy before in my life, but uh, had I never met him, I could have heard his voice and knew exactly who he was. I mean, that's just how distinct his voice was, and he said, it's going to be okay. And you need to hear that. Yeah, no, I really did, man, because... uh, you know, at this point in time, man, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what's fixing to happen, you know, because, um, you don't want to die because you've got your family, uh, and, and, and literally whenever somebody says your life flashes before your eyes, man, it goes so fast and, and you, you, you see everything so clearly. And, uh, he, he told me everything was going to be okay. And then, uh, next thing you know, uh, the lights went out. Uh, whenever the light, whenever, whenever they put me out, uh, everything started swelling up all of a sudden. And I, my, my O2 sats like bottomed out. My heart rate started going way, way, way down. They couldn't get an airway established. And, uh, miraculously, man, the, the medic just happened to have a tracheotomy kit in his pocket, which wow. is not something normal that he would carry. And, uh, he, uh, he, he, uh, performed an emergency trach, uh, tracheotomy and, and got my airway reestablished while they were sitting there watching me turn blue. He was tirelessly working to get an airway reestablished. Wow. 
they they got me loaded up onto the helicopter and I guess about somewhere in between uh, Pampa and Amarillo on my way to the hospital, my, my airway started constricting on the, uh, um, the tracheotomy again, because it, it, the, the swelling was just so aggressive, uh, that it started shutting it down. They got, they got landed in Amarillo. They took me immediately into emergency surgery where, uh, probably one of the finest doctors I'll ever know in my life, uh, did, uh, did an emergency, uh, uh, tracheotomy again, uh, cleared everything out in my throat, stretched everything out and reestablished another airway. Uh, and, um, they decided at that point in time, man, that they, they didn't have, they didn't have the doctors that I needed. Uh, and so they ended up flying me to Texas Tech University Medical Center in Lubbock. Uh, and, uh, whenever I woke up in Lubbock, I, I don't remember just a whole lot, but, uh, whenever they woke me up, I punched a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> you what? <laughs> did, did you, did you come out thinking like you're still in the fight? I got to get, but were you still back in the house? Is that, do you, or do you, remember, I, do you know what was going on? Uh, no, I had no clue what was going on. You I punched wasn't a sure. Nurse. Exactly was, <laughs> was it at least, yeah, a man, I, did, I it, did you at least hit a male nurse? I, no, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gonna, you know what? We're gonna have her on the show in Thank a couple you. of weeks. Thank we're gonna you. talk we're gonna to her. Reunite we're gonna, you we're two. Gonna, we're gonna reunite, reunite Knock you two. Uh, Houston, listen. In the next segment, we're gonna talk a lot about recovery together, me and you. But for the sake of my own personal curiosity and a lot of law enforcement officers out there, please tell me what happened to this shitbag who shot you. Well. 16, I mean, it was, no, I'm sorry. It, it was in 2016, September 29th, 2016. We ended up going to trial, but the day that I got, uh, the day that I got shot, uh, the, uh, Emerald police department SWAT responded, uh, and got him out of the house after about a four hour standoff or so, I guess. Uh, and they ended up shooting him. Uh, he survived, uh, and, uh, managed to make it to trial and uh whenever the uh the trial was taking place and everything um uh he at the at the end of the day he ended up with uh 50 years uh inside tdc uh and uh, you know it was uh it's kind of cool what happened that day um uh, at the end of the trial proceedings and and everything man he uh the, the the courtroom was completely cleared out. The judge wasn't present. The jury wasn't present. He uh, he turned around and looked at me and he said, "I'm sorry." Wow, wow. That's and how the, did, uh, how did you feel about that? <laughs> you can tell the truth because no, um, <laughs> I, no, no, I know what I'm expecting to hear. You know, a little bit. It kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you, you know, prior to that, man, if you would have given me five minutes with this dude, <laughs> oh yeah, man, oh, talk yeah. about the nurse, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But whenever, he, whenever he said that, man, I, I, uh, I, I felt a huge, huge degree of sincerity coming from him. Wow, it, it wasn't. It, That's awesome. It, it, didn't it, expect it that, did you? No, I sure didn't. And at that point in time, man, you know, uh, I. I'm I'm a wholehearted believer in 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 Christ and 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 the miracles that God performs on a daily basis. At that point in time, man, I, I really felt like uh, God was speaking to me and saying, uh, "Houston, this has got to be done today." And 
So a couple minutes later, his attorney walked past me and she said, you know, Mr. Gass, I, I, I'm sorry for all the things that you've had to deal with and go through. And of course I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm, you know, thank you for defending your client the way you have. Cause I mean, she, she, uh, she defended him very well. And I was glad that she did that because I didn't want to have to go back and relive this through, you know, some appeal or uh, something. Yeah. Some appellate court or something, you know, so. Hey, hey, uh, well, Houston, he got, he got 50 years. So, I mean, you, you yeah. shouldn't shoot a cop, but you damn sure should not shoot a cop in Texas. <laughs> no, <laughs> Texas does Texas criminal justice system does not mess around with their punishment. Um, this, this is the perfect spot. Talk about the miraculous survival, talking about the hospital, talking about, we're going to talk about your wife and that the part she played. And then you and Jason are going to share a lot of stories. Yes, indeed. So we will be right back for the next segment. Stay tuned for me and Houston to have a little personal banter about what it's like to recover from an injury. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment as long as, I, as live. long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Batch Boys, everybody. Very excited to continue the conversation with Houston. And Houston, after that first segment, man, just conjured up so many memories and images and questions. And I want to start with one of my Favorite questions that I think is important for everybody to remind themselves and for every law enforcement officer out there to hear from other people. Why did you originally put your name on the application? Well, I, I come from, uh, I'm, I'm a second generation cop and I, I, I followed in my dad's footsteps. Outstanding. Uh, there was, there was a couple of reasons behind it. Uh, you know, a, I just, I idolized my dad and, and wanted to be just like him. But then, uh, in, uh, 1990, my oldest sister was, uh, raped and murdered in Amarillo. And that was, uh, oh that was God. another part of it because the, the work that the patrolman did, uh, on that, uh, because a couple months earlier, her, her apartment had gotten burglarized and, um, the work that he did on that, the, the finger, the single solitary fingerprint that he was able to lift that day was the one piece that ended up solving my sister's murder. And it just impacted me. Uh, and, uh, the work that, uh, the work that he did, I mean, I, I could see a sense of purpose in that. And, you know, with any career that you go into, you got to be able to buy into it, right? Well, I couldn't buy into anything else other than public service. 
That's uh, wow. that's easily wow. the best answer to that question I've ever had. I am very Barbara sorry to. Uh, wow, that caught me off guard. Uh, I'm very sorry about your uh, your sister. Can you imagine and, your father? But, uh, but thank you for also sharing the importance of when somebody did their job correctly, and it not only brought justice to your family, but it it furthered your sense of service to the community. Um, so back to the firefighting thing real quick. I just want to point out people all across this country, firefighters and cops, they, they have a little bit of witty banner amongst each other. A lot of times it's a little too serious and uh, cops and firefighters don't always work together really well as far as communicating. And I know we have some issues. I've talked to some different people. I'm getting ready to do a speech uh, in, I won't name the location, but it's, it's an area of the country that's having a tough time with the emerging communication. But the one thing I can say is when something happens to a police officer, when there co out comes a call of an officer down, the firefighters are going to do, they will forget everything about their own safety. They could be wearing shorts and a t-shirt. They don't have guns and they're going to run into that scene and they want to be a part of saving the life of that person that's in uniform. So there is that camaraderie and a shout out to, uh, obviously everybody knows that I love firefighters, but I actually caught on fire. So that's easy to assume. You, uh, I know you love your firefighters. So let's jump ahead. You're in the hospital. You've been shot in the face. In your mind, I'm assuming you realize, okay, I, I've been shot. Here I am. I've got a gown on. I've got an IV in. I've got my family standing around, possibly freaking out. At what point is it settling in that you are you realize you're going to survive? And then what are your first what are your first thoughts? Um, who's the first person to see you when you came in? Um, you know, there, there's the, the outside of the hospital staff. Is, outside of the yeah, staff, yeah. The that that particular day was so in and out for me because of the medications running through my veins and everything, oh, yeah. you know, and. And, and the trauma that had occurred. Uh, but, uh, my, my first, my first real moment that I knew things were going to be okay was, uh, whenever my, uh, my wife walked in to the hospital suite that I was in and I'll never forget the, the look that she had on her face. It was so, it was such a downtrodden look. Um, you know, you could, you could tell she was scared out of her mind. Yeah. Um, of course I was too. Sure. Uh, and I looked at her of course. And, and this was the first time that I realized I couldn't talk, you know, because everything that I had in there, I couldn't, uh, couldn't do any of that. And, uh, I looked at her and I mumbled or mouthed the word to her, uh, that I'm sorry. And I remember her looking at me, she goes, this is not your fault. And I was like, I understand that, you know, and, uh, that's, that's whenever they gave me a board to, to write on or a piece of paper or something. And I, and I started writing some stuff down and told her that I'm sorry she had to go through this. And, uh, I, I genuinely felt bad that, uh, that she was going through, uh, such violent circumstances yet again in her life. Yeah. And I, I've always said it's harder, it's easier to go through something than, to watch somebody you love go through it. So the families uh, and, and each one, whether it be uh, your wife, your parents, your kids, they're all going to feel different emotions. But uh, looking back on it, I'm sure she got the notification. 
Then she gets to the hospital yeah. and it's constant, like be prepared for what you're going to see. He was shot in the face. And uh, it's probably that her trepidation of what, what that first appearance was, what you saw when she walked into the room. Yeah, and then you know. once she sees, once she sees you and you're still Houston, I mean, I don't care if you're missing a cheek or a jar, you're still her husband. She probably had a little sense of like, okay, I got it now. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, I remember her telling me exactly, you know, what she was thinking at that point in time. Uh, of course this was a couple months later, obviously. Um, she, she was sitting there thinking, she looked at me and she goes, Oh my God, they, there's no way they can fix this. You know? So, you know, she's preparing, you know, for, you know, her husband to never be able to talk again, not have a jaw, you know, be one of those really deformed guys that, uh, you know, she was going to end up having to, uh, you know, uh, feed me through a feeding tube for the rest of my life. And, you know, yeah. she was just going through all the worst case scenario in her head, just like we all do. And, um, you know, then, then, then here comes my mom and, uh, my mom, uh, is, uh, bless her heart. She's, uh, she's been through the ringer, you know, my, well, yeah, my, I lost my oldest, daughter. Yeah. My oldest sister, Kim was murdered. In 1990, uh, 2013, my other sister uh, committed suicide, uh, oh, and yeah, so I'm the uh, I'm I'm the only surviving child that she's got, and literally, uh, we were we were literally two weeks shy on because this happened January 6th, uh, January 20th of 2014. My dad passed away uh, from uh, complications of cancer and things of that nature, so. You know, my mom is sitting there, uh, she's, she's kind of getting to where she kind of feels like she's all alone in the world. And, uh, you know, she wasn't going to be able to handle, uh, uh, her, her last child being taken away from her like that. And, and of course, uh, I wasn't going to let that happen. I, I, I was going to do whatever I could to, uh, to make sure that, uh, I didn't die that way. And then there's a point so, in time you asked to see your pastor, right? What exactly? What was your true reasoning that you wanted him in the room? Did you just need to pray some more? Did you want to just see the spirituality in a physical form, or is it just something you felt like I just need this person in my room? All, all of the above. Um, you know, I I was sitting there thinking in my head, and I couldn't I couldn't obviously I couldn't verbalize it. Uh, but. Uh, about a year and a half earlier, I was going through a divorce and, and, uh, like, like many all good cops, man, you know, we've all got at least two wives. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so we're, we're, we're sitting there, but one of my mentors, uh, named, uh, Rick Pearson, man, he, uh, he, he really took me through a lot of that stuff and, and, and helped me through in a, in a really dark time. Uh, with, with everything going on, going through a divorce, my sister committing suicide, my dad dying of cancer. I mean, you know, if there was any, uh, any point in time, man, where things could have gone bad, this was the time. And, uh, he, he always had this plaque sitting in his office and, um, and the saying on the, the, the plaque just really stuck with me. And, and I kind of made it, uh, kind of made it my life's motto, if you will. Um, but I was asking for my, my, uh, my pastor and, and 
coincidentally, uh, the funny thing is my pastor's name is Dallas. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Only so, in Texas. Houston, yeah. Houston and Dallas. Come on. <laughs> you guys are like hilarious. I, told you, man, I, I haven't met a guy named after a major city I didn't like. Uh, uh, Dallas finally walks into the room and, uh, you know, I don't know how long it took him to get there, but, you know, apparently I guess I asked for him like a hundred times and was being really impatient. I couldn't imagine why I would be so impatient. You know, cops, man, we're not, we're not impatient <laughs> people at all. Right. So he walks into the room and he goes, and he looks at me and he's just got this kind of this, this very stunned look on his face. Like, uh, you know, they can prepare you to see some things, but until you actually see it, you don't know how you're going to react, right? right? Right. So he comes in, and, and uh, they give me my my piece of paper and my pencil, and uh, I write down uh, I write down what I wanted him to say. I wanted him to read and, and pray and things of that nature because everything around me was just so stinking chaotic. Yeah. You know, nurses, everybody was moving around doctors going in and out. Uh, and there was just a, this kind of this, um, hopeless feeling in the room, I guess, I guess you could call it. That's, that's the best way I can describe it. And, uh, I, I wrote down, I wrote down what I wanted him to read and it said Exodus fourteen fourteen, And that's exactly what was on the plaque. Um, and what what Exodus fourteen fourteen says it says the Lord will fight for you. You need only be quiet. Well, I could I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> so you had that part Check. down. <laughs> yeah, got that covered. Um, everybody everybody is in just such such dire straits. You know, there's like I said, there's just such a hopeless feeling in the room and. All of a sudden, man, there is a calm that comes over the room and a oh. peace that that you can't you can't you cannot replicate this. Love it. I mean, it is impossible to replicate. So we're 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 doing doing that, and he reads that, and uh, I mean, it, it was amazing how the dynamic of the room changed all of a sudden. Good for you to think like that and put that out there, caring about other people. Houston, there's a couple more important topics I want to get to, uh, and then we'll close out this segment with uh, what you're doing today because it's just unbelievable. But the first one, and I think this is important for all, not only first responders and cops out there, but just anybody who goes through something. You mentioned how you, the first thing you said to your wife was, I'm sorry, because you felt bad. You felt that guilt or whatever. And I know for me, one of my most difficult things – was uh, my children. And I had a three-year-old son. Uh, he actually turned three when I was in the hospital. And when I got home, after five months, uh, my appearance, everything had changed. And uh, this little boy was, you know, he would cry and run out of any room I was in. He would openly say, you're not my dad. And I remember the overwhelming guilt that I felt with like, man, I know why I put my name on an application. I am I am good, and it's going to carry me through a lot of dark days, and it has. But when it comes to your children, I think, and I think we can all, as as fathers, we can relate to you. You want to be as protective as you can, and to all of a sudden not be at home, not be the the role model you want to be, not be taking care of things. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? Did you have that that same sense of guilt? How did your kids? How did you help them get through that? Oh yeah. 
Um, it was probably about, I don't know, four or five days later, um, my, uh, my kids' grandparents brought, uh, brought my children up to, uh, to the hospital to see me. And, uh, of course, you know, they, they did everything that they could to prepare them, you know, for what they were going to see with their dad, because, uh, had a giant hole in my face. Uh, everything was super swollen, had a, had a trach. I couldn't talk. Um, you know, my, my kids have never seen, seen me in this, uh, in that light before, you know, I mean, uh, you know, at the time, uh, let's see, my, my two boys were three and four and my daughter was seven. So they were still really young and they, they brought them into the room. And I tell you what, man, they, it was, it was a feeling like I've never felt before, you know, uh, I, you know, I could definitely feel the love that I had for my children at that point in time. And, uh, you could, you could kind of tell that, uh, my, my boys were, were a little bit scared of what they were seeing. Um, but, uh, my daughter, she didn't care. She came up and gave me the biggest hug <laughs> see girls are so good they're so tough I love that. they seriously they, my daughter was seven my daughter was seven when i got hurt and uh yeah it was kind of the same wow same thing girls are just uh they're just a little bit tougher i love that. i hate to i hate to admit it but girls are just a little bit tougher so um that's okay during that visit uh my wife uh my wife ended up taking a photograph of me and my three children you know, like I said, just, just a few days after the incident. And, uh, that's, that's probably one of my favorite pictures. Oh, ever. I bet it is. Jesus. You know, it, it, it's tough to look at the way that I looked, uh, and the condition that I was in, but to see the faces of my children, it, it, it just really brought things together. And thank God you're still alive. Uh, I, mean, amen to that, that. I mean, that's how can you think anything else? Uh, except especially when you're surrounded by your kids. And on that note of, thank God I'm still alive. I don't know if you ever saw him speak or remember the name, but there is a Louisiana state trooper named Bobby Smith, who was yeah. uh, a very good public speaker. He was shot by a shotgun in the face back in, yep. wow, I want to say 1982. Well, if you ever heard him speak, one of the stories he tells, he had severe PTSD. And like, mm -hmm. he, like you, I mean, you were shot through a door. He didn't really, the guy didn't have your face, but he, he intentionally shot at you. I was in a car accident and the guy wasn't targeting me. So I've never had to deal with that kind of anger. And Bobby told a story about one of his friends one night. You know, Bobby was going down a dark road. He was drinking too much. He was angry. And one of his friends, because cops are, we have some pretty good friends. He drove Bobby out to the cemetery where the guy was he had been killed by the troopers and he drove bobby's blind he drove him out to the cemetery with a shovel and he said we're going to dig this guy up and we're going to shoot him again <laughs> and, <laughs> and when bobby when bobby told that story it was you know it was kind of funny but then it was also kind of i could see the healing but fast forward a couple years ago bobby attended a funeral of another louisiana state trooper and the next day uh, Trooper Bobby Smith died, and still to this day, they kept it pretty quiet. I, uh, you know, I hate to admit, part of me thinks that he ended up taking his own life, and the the powers that be in Louisiana probably kept that quiet. They never said what his cause of death was, 
but I think he suffered a lot for a lot of years. And you are only, you know, I hate to say it only, but you're four years into this. And so how do you, how do you deal now? You're back at work. You're doing a lot of great things, but you, you know, of stories and cops go through it. And sometimes, sometimes you cannot come out of the hole. So how do you get through that? No, uh, I'm going to tell you, you know, for me personally, getting through that hole was, uh, uh, surrounding myself with the right, uh, the right people at the right time. Uh, you know, my, my church, my, my church really came around me at the, at the right time. And, uh, uh, there, there were a lot of dark days in there, man, you know, oh, yeah. where, uh, you kind of feel sorry for yourself and yep. you kind of, you're angry, you're, you're mad. Uh, I, I'll even, I'll even tell you, you know, I was mad at God for a long time, man, you know, uh, I, I couldn't see, you know, how a such a loving God would allow such evil to happen to to His people. Uh, and then then I started uh, then I started reading the Book of Job, and and then I could see I could kind of see God's goodness through things. Um, and uh, you know, as tough as your circumstances are, you got to be able to surround yourself with people. You know, probably probably one of the hardest times that I dealt with was whenever I uh, whenever I figured out that uh, the department that I'd spent so many years working for and had dedicated my life to and and had so much loyalty to uh, decided to abandon me and my family. Oh. You know, the the guys that were the, the guys that were nearest to me the day that I got shot ended up being the the first ones to flee and ended up being the furthest away from me because uh, they I don't know because they, they couldn't handle their own guilt or what or what was the that pisses me off why you know I I still can't put a uh, put an answer to that because uh, you know I hate to say it but we we haven't spoken in years now because oh, of dang. the situation. That's, um, that's, you know, and, and, and the thing is, I don't, I don't hate these guys. Uh, in uh, fact, uh, you know, if these guys ever listen, you know, I, I would still thank them sure. to this day for the work that they did on that particular day. Uh, you know, my, my story, uh, got a lot of media attention around the Texas panhandle. Um, you know, it seemed like, uh, uh I was like the, I was like an anomaly, you know, the, the officers that had been shot in the line of duty in the Texas Panhandle area and like the 50 years prior to whenever I got shot, uh, it all died. And for some reason, uh, God chose me to live that day. And, uh, you know, there was, there was just a lot of attention brought to that. And, and, you know, the, the, the chief at the time, we, we had a conversation at my house after I got home from the hospital and his exact words were, uh, Houston, we need to exploit your injury. And he, he lovely. The way he explained, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, man, uh, <laughs> uh, if I would have really caught it at the time, man, I probably could have saved myself a lot of heartache, but I didn't because I still had, I still had a huge, huge amount of loyalty to the department. Of course. You know, um, you know, and his his reasoning behind things was was this: uh, we need to use this to get to get a raise for the guys. We need to use this to get more staffing, uh, and the raise is going to help us to get uh, staff that we can keep for a long time. Uh, and uh, he said, you know, he said if the media wants to talk, you talk to them. And so I did. 
you know, and I, I did everything I could to paint, uh, to paint the, uh, the police, uh, the police lifestyle in as good a light as you possibly could for even, even though the circumstances that I went through absolutely sucked. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I did those things and I, I constantly thanked, uh, thank the the first responders that were there uh i thank the officers that were there uh you know but for some reason i i don't know if it was uh i don't know if it was a jealousy thing i don't know if it was a they just can't handle looking at the reality of what could actually happen thing or or what but uh you know man i i tell you what man you know the day that i figured out that the department was no longer behind me was probably one of the worst days that I had, uh, in my recovery. And, and thank God that I had, uh, the men, the men of my church surrounding me the way they did. Uh, and, uh, they, they helped me walk through a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I mean, that definitely needs to be discussed. Uh, I think it's important. I've heard so many horror stories over the years because again, I was one of the lucky ones, uh, the department I worked for, uh to a person everybody stood by me i had a chance to return to work and all the people involved in my critical incident from the firefighters to the cops to the nurses to my family everybody is not only still by my side but they're all better off because of it and when i hear these stories it just it's absolutely something i don't understand but cops uh uh you know they they can be uh you see it, I tell. I try to explain to people, and maybe I shouldn't say this, I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but whenever you see uh, on, the, on the news a cop getting killed, uh, like in New York City or something like that, and guys will fly in from all over the country, and they're wearing their Class A uniforms, oh, and they're standing out there, and on the news it looks like just this incredible brotherhood and camaraderie. And for cops, we actually know that a lot of that is not completely accurate because on a day-to-day basis, sometimes there's the territorial rivalries, there's the jealousies, and cops are not always good at standing by each other the way they should. And, and your story is a great example of some of the terms that were used and the fact that the guys that were in their house, and again, I don't know these guys, I'm not trying to disrespect them, and I would shake their hand and say thank you also for save helping save your life. But the fact that you guys don't even speak now and they were the first ones to flee and distance themselves, that... That is just a, a sinister result of a critical incident that I will never be able to relate to. So we are going to move on to an end on something positive that you're doing. And I will uh, start with oh, the first absolutely. one. I'm going to start absolutely. with the first question and then I'll let Darren, because you have two, good, two things going on right now. What is the emergency operations proving ground project that you're working on? Well, um, the, we, we've got, we're kind of a, a, a two-sided affair. Uh, on one side of it, uh, uh, we're, we're training teachers and, and medical personnel and things on how to be an actual first responder, how to go to a, an active shooter and be the first one on scene and be an actual defender of our, of our, of our most precious assets in society, our children and, and our, and our, uh, our handicapped and our, our medically, uh, medically needy people out there, um, that, uh, you know, in the event that an active shooter actually comes to a school near you, uh, we're, we're teaching these teachers how to, how to actually go through, 
uh, and be prepared to uh, to shoot. We're uh, you know Texas is very blessed with uh, um, a very Second Amendment friendly government uh, and has allowed um, any school district that chooses to arm their teachers to do that. Uh, and we're training them up on that on that stuff. And then on the other side of things, the the we're we're taking time out to to honor our wounded officers. And the wounded has a particular, you know, big place in my heart, you know, I you know, for obvious reasons. Uh because so oftentimes the wounded guys have to fight so hard to get whatever medical care they deserve that they that they obviously earned in the line of duty they shouldn't have to fight as hard as they do um and oftentimes you know uh some of the things are pretty negative for these guys because uh like in my case you know their departments have turned their backs on on them and um you know these these guys need uh these officers men women whatever they need to know that there's actually somebody out there that cares about them and loves them and uh, wants to see the absolute best for them. And uh, we just got finished having our second uh, second annual uh, Wounded Heroes event. Uh, we, uh, we, we honored 38 officers this time around uh, for, for their sacrifices that uh, survived. And, uh, you know, we also make a habit of reaching out to those guys whenever incidents just occur. Uh, I like to be uh, I like to be as close to the top of the people, man, that reaches out to a department or to an officer uh, first to let them know that uh, somebody's out there that cares, that actually knows and gets what they're going through. I love that. I love how you're involved trying to help officers, which is very consistent with who you are, because the part of the story about your hospital that I just love is with all this going against you, brother. You ask for the pastor, and then you write down that positive story so that he can tell it to everyone in that room that's really depressed and sad, and then it lifts their spirit that, um, you know, let the Lord take it from here. I just love that. With that in mind, can you tell us a little bit about One Shot Ministries? Well, you know, that's that's something that me and my wife dreamed up uh, a couple years ago, about probably three, three and a half years ago. It was something that we wanted to do because uh, we know that the the officers that are out there or or even just first responders um, that are out there that feel really alone in the world and uh, you know it's it's amazing how one shot can change your life and if you look at it, you know we really only have one shot at our lives anyway uh, and uh, you know we we had been dreaming. And, and really praying and seeking God's uh, will on uh, uh, what we could do to help out the first responder community. You know, we, we had this dream of being able to do some retreats and things like that for these officers. And then uh, uh, about, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, whenever uh, myself and uh, EOPG hooked up, man, we, we just knew that that was the beginning of what it was that God wanted us to do. And and uh, One Shot Ministries was was there, and, uh, um, you know, our focus with that is just bringing some, uh, bringing some positivity to a, uh, to a situation that is not uh, in the least bit positive at all. 
Wow. Houston, I, uh, we definitely have to get together. I, time goes by fast, and I want to let you know I will be speaking at the brand-new TCU Medical Center in early June. Uh, I don't know how far of a drive that is, but maybe we can add a day and uh, spend a little time together. And uh, uh, that's, that's 45 uh, minutes from me. Man. Oh, well, that ain't no problem. Then you have to be there. I'm not, no, no excuses. <laughs> that's outstanding you let me know and i'll be there oh yeah we'll uh we'll stay in touch uh listen i can't thank you enough for this i think there's a lot of cops out there who are going to get a lot out of how you shared that story and and what you've gone through and i would again this is this is somebody who has has been to the brink of brink of losing the precious life and he's won some great awards and uh he's back on the streets and he's doing his job but uh, all that matters is you fought for yourself, for your family, and you still fight for the rest of us. And you're a beautiful soul. God bless you each and every day for what you've gone through. And I can't thank you enough for being on our show, bud. Hey, man, it was a pleasure. And uh, certainly, uh, like I said, man, you know, you guys, uh, uh, Jason is a guy that I've followed for a long time. And especially after I got injured, I mean, uh, you know, Jason, I want you to know, man, that you've been a, a real inspiration to me, uh, you know, because I, I got to – you know, I watched a couple of the uh, the episodes of the first 48 whenever you were on there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, seeing that you went back, I, I kind of felt like that I could too. So, you know, I, I just want to thank you guys for, for the opportunity. You are very welcome, sir. We really, uh, we really do appreciate it and uh, hope you enjoy the show. Pass it on to all your friends and uh, the people at your church. Spread the word. And uh, we're just going to try and make the, the world better and the way we found it before we started the show with uh, getting this message out to everybody, okay? Absolutely, right. sounds great. God guys. bless you, pal. Take care, brother. Same to you guys. Be right back, everybody. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. What a great guest. It could not have been a better guest, Houston Gas from, uh, oh my gosh, the Amarillo, Texas area. And then have Jason, you, you know, ask these questions that are so, so poignant, so deep embedded into what has happened to you. There's so much similarities between this journey, this survival. Yeah, and I, you know, I just love survivor stories and everybody, no matter what happened, even if the incidences are similar or you're wearing a uniform when it happened, each story is a little bit different. And I love to hear people's perspective of how'd you feel in this situation? How'd you get through this part? And he touched on literally everything. What, you know, what he thought in those oh, moments, praying, praying to God he wasn't going to die, his, his wife, his kids being abandoned by the department he was dedicated to, uh, his spirituality. I mean, the guy literally touched on every aspect of being a human being, 
and having something like this happen to you. And it, it's important for us to hear other people because it, it might be somebody else's survival guide when it happens to them. They might remember, oh, that guy, Houston. He survived. Uh, he, he, he made it. And this is how he, this is what he, and he said, I felt angry. I was mad at God. I cried. I was scared. Yes, but you have to go through those emotions. You have to. You don't get shot in the face or get in a car accident or even shoot and take somebody's life and simply go, all right, what, you know, what's that? That's not how you can't feel those things. You have to go through some emotions to come out on the other side. And those emotions aren't fun to go through, but you have to go through them. That positivity that he ended with, with this, uh, you know, the uh, first shot ministries and, of course, helping officers who have been wounded. I just love that positivity. I do, too. Speaking. And I'm sorry to be prejudiced, but there's nothing like listening to somebody with a southern accent <laughs> tell that story. I don't know. It, it has more It has more feel and, and serenity yes, to me. I, humble. That's, yes, that's what I'm just like. This is just a good old Texas boy right here, and he's telling, <laughs> and he's telling his story. That was what was cool. So, Speaking of a good old boy telling a great story, you got one for us, my uh, friend. Yes, in honor of Veterans Day a couple days ago and just the week, you know, my entire – Family served in the military. I served in the military, and it's uh, it's you know it's on the news pretty much every day anyway. It doesn't have to be November 11th. It doesn't have to be the week, but uh, I think we should always remember that. But I came across this story out of Huntsville, Alabama, and I just love again. I always talk about what officers do above and beyond the call of duty. Not running toward the bullets. Not necessarily running into fires. But it is going above and beyond the call of duty. And this is uh, about law enforcement from four different counties coming together this week to make sure that a disabled veteran did not have to walk to his doctor's appointment. The Morgan County Sheriff's Office shared this story on their Facebook page, if you want to look it up. And the post said that a deputy from the Walker County Sheriff's Office came across a man wearing an oxygen mask walking down the road in the Jasper area. The man whose name was not released is a disabled veteran and he was trying to walk to a doctor's appointment in Huntsville. The sheriff's office wrote the deputy acted quickly and escorted the Gulf War veteran to the Coleman County line where a Coleman sheriff's deputy picked him up. The deputy then transported him to the Morgan County line where a Morgan County sheriff's deputy took over, met at a Madison County sheriff's office deputy in Huntsville who finished the trip. Four different counties, four different deputies, all put an effort into this to get to the man, get the man to his appointment that he was, the man was told by his doctors, you cannot miss this. And this guy is walking down the street wearing an oxygen mask and four different counties stepped up, did a nice relay. The guy had an overnight stay in the hospital. He is healthy, happy, back at home. And all four of the deputies said, we'd do it again in a heartbeat. That right there is going above and beyond the call of duty and Love honoring That's cool. your Love commitment it. to serving your community. Way to go, guys. That is a uh, way to make us all proud and where to wear, way to wear the badge. And Darren, tell us now why people wearing the badge have the sense of humor that they do because people are stupid. Oh, stupid suspect stories galore. <laughs> we never have, you know, a problem finding stupid suspect stories. They're just out there. They're and every cop there. knows what I'm talking about. There's so many They're stupid just right suspects. There. Man, they practically arrest themselves. I've been looking for <laughs> themes uh, for the last couple of months, and I found a pretty good theme here. These 
these next stories are ridiculous statements, okay? Ridiculous okay. statements. And not all by the suspect, by the way. The first one is a DUI suspect who claimed the dog was driving his car. Yep, that's right. That's the headline. If you th thought the dog ate my homework was a bad excuse. The dog was driving <laughs> yeah, the, my car. Yeah, yeah. A DUI suspect accused of leading deputies on a high-speed chase in Manatee County, Florida. Oh, again? Yes, Florida again. Leslie told authorities that the dog was the one behind the wheel. That's right. Deputies gave chase to Relford Cooper the third, 26 years old. After catching him speeding at around 7 o'clock at night, Cooper fled a ran stop sign, drove through two ditches, and eventually crashed into a house. Yeah, no, I'm sure he wasn't drunk. The dog was drunk, sure. Cooper took off uh, on foot. He sought refuge in a nearby church. The churchgoers chased him out. I love it. Thank you, churchgoers. They chased him off the property. While he was being handcuffed, he told deputies, quote, I wasn't driving the car. And then the uh, deputies, of course, said, well, then who was? And he thought for two seconds and said, quote, my dog was driving that car. <laughs> the deputy who arrested Cooper noted that there was obviously a small order of alcohol and there were no dogs in the car. Yep. That is the first stupid suspect story. <laughs> my dog was driving the car. At least have a dog in the car if you're going to blame it on Right, him. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a throwdown dog, you know. Yeah, a stuffed animal or something. I don't know. Uh, the st second stupid Victim story. And I say victim with air quotes, okay? Woman claims sexual assault by restaurant PP doll. Let me explain this. Uh, Isabel Lassiter has a beef with a Japanese steakhouse in Tennessee, at least it was in Florida, where a chef sprayed her in the face with a PP doll in what her husband called a sexual assault style assault. Isabel and her family were dining at the Wasapi Japanese Steakhouse in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, uh, when the chef produced this plastic doll which resembles a little boy and the pants come down and then the stream of water spurts out where his pee pee would be. Uh, the, the, water, <laughs> the water shot her in the face. Well, not only was she not happy about it, quote, he pulled his little shorts down and he had a wanger and he squirted me right in the face with a wanger. That might have been her voice. I don't know. Um, the restaurant manager, Johnny hung by the way i'm not making that up i'm not even making that up johnny hung said the doll is a common no 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 no, 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 yes, yes. no, no. <laughs> part of the, the show patrons get a kick out at the di dinner uh the chef uses also to control the the grill the hibachi grill and he says quote the kids like it and they think it's a water gun end quote uh isabel's husband james called the spring quote a sexual style assault on my wife the couple called the police and filed a sexual assault report. Um, quote, it happened in front of our children and grandchildren. It really doesn't even have to be a wiener, but that's the point. Uh, by the way, there was no wiener. The genitalia was completely removed. Uh, it was just a little spot. So, quote, just because somebody cut off a plastic wiener, it's not okay. It's just not. It doesn't change the fact that you're getting peed on. Yeah, so uh, they're pretty upset. Uh, by the way, the police did not file charges of sexual assault. God bless them. Uh, but the restaurant really should stop pissing off their customers. Oh, I'm, my no, God. I had to end it with that. They really do. They Listen, really if do. we have any real fans of this show, please 
send a Fifi doll to Star <laughs> Worldwide Networks and address it to Darren Burke, please. I want him to open it while I'm sitting here. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll PP on somebody, Jason. Yes, somebody out there, step up and send him <laughs> one of these dolls because I have to see it. That is the most ridiculous, absurd. <laughs> Thank you. And the name, I, I still think you're making up the, the name of the, the waiter. Hung. <laughs> I'm going to hand him the... No, I don't even want to read it. I don't even want to read don't it. Keep go it. There. No, your stupid suspect stories stay in your pile, and so, my, my positive stories stay in my pile. That we so keep the, positivity from stupidity. The pee-pee uh, doll was not hung. No, he was not. He was a eunuch. Oh a eunuch God. pee-pee doll. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay. Cutting, cutting off the genit. Oh, we have another one? We have one We have one, one more? Yes, this okay. is, I think, maybe even the, the most ridiculous statement. This, again, we had a suspect. We had a, a victim. Them, quote unquote and now we have a newspaper newspaper uh, headline is dna from man's poopy shorts lead to his arrest rodney mark hendricks 49 is accused of burglarizing a denver preschool church in august 2014 and was caught due to dna tests of a pair of poopy shorts left in a bathroom at the crime scene a preschool employee noticed the crap stained clothes and put them in a plastic bag before the police arrived the responding officer took the contaminated shorts into evidence but it took 13 months for them to make their way through the forensic lab. Man, that would stink. In Colorado, a DNA sample is taken from anyone who is arrested for a felony. So when they ran the unknown sample, his DNA was already in the system. Now, Hendricks is accused of stealing two guitars from the church and numerous electronic equipment and a combined value of $4,000. So makes it a felony. Uh, the suspect was already in custody in the Colorado Department of Corrections on unrelated theft and drug charges. Okay, what is ridiculous about this story is that you cannot get DNA from poop. Poop is a waste product. You can get DNA from blood, from semen, from saliva, from all these things. So what probably happened is when they had the poop-stained shorts on the waistband, you would have DNA from sweat. From the crotch, you would have DNA from the sweat. But you don't get DNA from poop. <coughs> so I just want to put that out there that uh, I think it was a really ridiculous statement for the, uh, the newspaper to say poop solved the case. That's a real crappy situation. It is. Oh my yes. God. It is. It is. So those are three ridiculous statements made by three different sources. I'm going to get Darren for Christmas a printer that will just say no. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not, not going to print it. That. I'm not printing that story. It's You're too, not allowed to it's too ridiculous. It's too stupid. And, and I want to remind all of our listeners, I'm sure you know this, but you have the ability to hit the pause button in between going from heroic headlines to that and now I'm supposed to say something inspirational. So you can hit the, <laughs> you can pause and try to clear your head for five you minutes. You do. You probably do need to yeah, do that. Yeah, hit the pause button and then be like, all right, I'll get that out of my system. <laughs> and now I'll try to listen to something positive. on a positive side. I can Good see a new drinking game being Lord. created with you guys. <laughs> well, we now have, we, the cat story is now out of my <laughs> head. The, the Fifi doll, the Fifi doll has now... It, the bar has been set yeah. at that. That was uh, sexually assaulted by a eunuch peepee doll. I don't think that's a thing. Uh, it's, it's not a thing, but all right. Um, well, uh, the inspirational uh, closing this week, uh, just from the heart again, being the week I come from a family of military. There's a ton of guys out there, uh, men and women serving all across this country to make sure that in, uh, the coming years and decades, my kids will probably not have to do what they're doing right now and will leave 
or lead good lives with freedoms that I currently get to enjoy. And I've been thankful since I was a child. I am more thankful today. I don't care who you are, what you're doing. There's no reason to not be thankful for the freedoms you enjoy. And if you see a 90 year old man out there in a wheelchair wearing a veteran's cap, the only thing you should think of is when he was 20 years old, he was a much bigger badass than any of us are ever going to be. So you should thank the veterans and never take for granted the freedoms you have. Happy Veterans Day a couple of days ago. Happy Veterans Week to all of our first responders and, and Darren. And for episode 18, the perfect Veterans Day. Uh, it was so show. good. Yeah, yeah so was, episode was, 18. Go back and listen to Thank episode you. 18. I promise you the stupid suspect stories were not as bad that day <laughs> as they were today. So, so go back and listen to that. Uh, uh, thank you to Houston. I hope all of you police officers out there listening uh, got a little something out there uh, for what you've gone through in the past, what you possibly could go through in the future. Mindset is everything. Get your mind wrapped around that. Be thankful for today, your health, your freedoms. God bless all of you, and we will be back next week. Robin? Yes, Jason? Awesome job. And happy belated birthday. Aww. Happy birthday. Thank you, Thank you guys. Yes, indeed. We Enjoy love your you. donuts. We love all of our listeners. Yeah. Yes, we brought, hey, a couple of cops, we brought Robin donuts for her birthday. Go what else, figure. What else are we going to get? All right, love all you guys. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.